because he has done it all for us. We just got to walk in it, right? We just got to walk in it. Come on, let's say, I've tried so hard. Here we go. I've tried so hard to see it. Took me so long to believe it. But you chose someone like me to carry your victory. Perfection could never earn it. You give what we don't deserve it. You take the Every wall comes crashing 
listening to this song, it says, when I lift my voice and shout. You see, some of you have been silent for too long. Some of you have been whispering for too long. But the Lord's unlocking something in this house. It's a power. And sometimes you got to shout for the power to be shown. Ha! When Jesus died and busted up into hell, he didn't say, hey devil, how you doing? He said, hey, this is mine. I have taken hell and I have conquered it. There's no timidity in Christ. Some of you have sat and you've been saying, God, why am I stuck? Because authority is when we speak. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. So we have remained silent and God's been calling us to speak life with power and authority. Some of you are going through things even this past week that have you bogged down today. Your worship is confined. There are restraints on your worship. And right now, God is saying, hey, I need you to shout. Because when you worship, the foundations are shaken. When you worship, captives are set free. So we're going to go back into this minute. I need some of y'all to worship like your literal family souls depend on it. Like your friends' souls depend on it. Like you actually want to be free. Because when I was stuck in addiction to pornography, I wanted to be free. And when I shouted, God delivered me. Come on, y'all, let's shout today. When I lift, come on. When, when I lift my voice and shout, come on.
Yes, he has. He has conquered it. Yes. Lord, we worship you, God. Come on, just lift your own words, your own song to him. Lord, you're worthy, God. You're worthy, Lord. Yes, you are, God. Lord, we praise you, Jesus. You have conquered it all, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Come on, he is worthy of that praise. For all he's done, he is so worthy. He is so worthy. So worthy, he is so worthy. Lord, we thank you, God. Come on, tell him that you are worthy of it all, Jesus. You are worthy of it all. Come on, just let your voice ring. For from you are all things, and to you.
your healer, your savior, your provider, your deliverer. Everything you've ever needed, he has provided for you. Come on, we need to stay grateful. We need to stay grateful and tell him how worthy he is. I cannot do what I do without him. I cannot live without him. I'm fully and totally dependent on him. Someone praise him real quick, y'all. Let's hear it. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord for freedom in this house. Praise the Lord for power in this house. That we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. 
And he is so good, cleansing us day by day, sanctifying us day by day, and he's a faithful God. Praise the Lord. We are now going to transition into our next level of worship, which is giving. So as you return to your seats, if you'd please start getting your tithes and offerings ready. And as the custom here, we are going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8 together as a body of believers. And you guys can go ahead and stand again. Sorry, I should have said that. Go ahead and stand again because we are about to give as a church family to the Lord, believing we're going to be a blessing to our community, to our families and all those around us. So would you please read this with me? But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, but God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. You may give. This time, Children's Church may be dismissed. Children's Church over here with uh, Miss Martha and Pastor Serena over here, raising their hands right there, guys, waving at you. Children's Church is dismissed at this time. Thanks, sir. Here, brother, bring that back a little bit. There you go. Thanks, sir. That's good. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's a great day to be in the house of the Lord today, especially when his presence is just so overwhelming, covering, cleansing, forgiving, beautiful. And so today, I told you guys I was going to have an update um, on our Resurrection Seed offering project. What are we giving towards? Um, your counsel and myself, the Holy Spirit has given us a very kindred spirit, um, very like-mindedness in the direction this church is going. And I'm really excited about where the Lord is taking us. Um, we've done a lot in a little bit of time, and we will continue to do more in a little bit of time. Um, because that's who we are. We're pushing forward in the ministry, and I'm so excited for the things to come. So our Resurrection Seat offering, which is our special offering we give on Easter Sunday, what it's going towards is a community center project. 
And so phase one, as you know, majority of you who go here, we have a big empty spot where we used to have playgrounds, but they were old and rotted. We had to take them down for safety purposes. But the Lord has put it in our heart, not just for our kids, but we are turning our property into a community center. For, for the community, I'm talking, y'all, this is not just for our people. We are opening this to the community. That is the goal, is to have this truly be the hub for West Columbia. Like, kids who are in trouble, they come here for help. Like, people with addictions who are struggling, they come here for help. That, that, that is our vision here. We don't just sit and play church. No, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. And it's continuing and progressing, and the Lord is giving us vision. But phase one is going to be a playground. This is an example of what the playground will look like. We're going to put in a swing set. We're going to get benches to match the playground, and we're going to put up signs for our safety and their safety. And that's going to be our phase one project. This is what your resurrection seed offering will be going towards, okay? This is not just for our children. This is for the children of the community. Those who have bad homes that have nowhere to go, this will be a safe place. And so the Lord is giving us vision. The Lord is giving us resources, and we're putting this together. And, man, we're doing things, and I'm so excited to... For the glory of God, I'm so excited. And so our goal for phase one is $30,000. That is what it's going to take for the playground, the swings, the signage, and the benches. $30,000. That is our goal from our resurrection seed offering. And anything that comes in extra will be going to phase two. And so as you see up here, I gave you our phases so you would know the direction that we're going. Phase two is walking tracks. Give a, give a place for the parents to go, for the elderly in the community who like to, to walk during the day in the daylight. We will have a place for people to come. And, man, I'm not just praying that they come. I'm praying that as soon as they walk on the premises, they just feel the glory of God. I mean, like, the Holy Spirit permeates this place because while we're the temples of the Holy Spirit, wherever we go, his glory is following. And so I just pray that when they step foot on this property, that they will feel the love of Jesus. That those who've been hurt and abused, when they step on this property, they feel the love of Jesus. So phase three, we are going to be um, looking what it's going to take, actually, um, like legal-wise, what it's going to take to turn this place into a homework center. We want to be a hub for kids after school in this community who have no place to go, maybe single-parent homes, parents are working, they can come here and have a safe place here. So phase three is a homework center. We're going to look into that and see what we can do. Y'all, we have the facilities, we have the room, and the Holy Spirit actually gave my wife this, this vision and this passion about three years ago to start a homework center in needy communities to give a kids a safe place to see that they succeed in life, in their schooling, and in relationships. And then phase four, we're going to put in a cafe here for the community. And so, guys, we're really excited for what's coming. We are excited for what the Lord is doing. But once again, phase one, just so you have it in your minds, a playground, swings, benches, and signage. And the goal for that is $30,000. So please be praying on what the Lord would have you to give. Guys, this is our last time praying over the prayer link guide together as we have been every Sunday. This week we are praying over the leadership of the IPHC. So we will be praying over World Missions Ministries team, which is the higher ups, the World Missions Ministries Council, and the World Missions Ministries. And so basically, Y'all, these are the people who are deciding what direction the IPHC is going in missions. So would you please stand with me as we pray for the leadership of our conference as they guide us into the next season of missions. Will you please raise your hands with me if you are willing. Lord God, we worship you. We thank you for those you have given a passion for missions, Lord God. 
that you've put a burden on their hearts to see the lost saved, to see the unreached reached, Lord God, that those who have never heard the gospel, that they would take it there. So, Lord God, we just pray for supernatural wisdom and creativity. And in these uncertain times of COVID and countries shutting down their borders, we pray that you would give the leadership of the conference divine wisdom on how to penetrate those countries, how to take the gospel where the gospel has not been before. There are around 2 billion people who have not heard the gospel. So Lord God, we just pray that you would give these leaders the leadership from the leads to the council to the ministries that are being established, Lord God. We pray divine wisdom, authority, and power, Lord God. We pray that leaders in those countries that are so shut off would get saved, Lord God. We hear incredible stories about people in the Middle East seeing visions of Jesus and giving their hearts to him. So God, right now we pray in this moment all around the world that leaders who are hostile towards the gospel, that their hearts would start to be softened, Lord God, that the, your Holy Spirit will start to soften their minds and their hearts, that people who were once murderers will be lovers, Lord God, that people who were once persecuting the church will love the church, Lord God, that they can't even explain the radical transformation, but they'll just say it was Jesus. And Lord God, I pray that even these leaders would lay down their life for the gospel, Lord God. I believe nothing is too big for you. I'm believing for supernatural miracles, Lord God, in those countries, that the gospel will be taken to every person on the earth, Father. So we pray for supernatural power, supernatural creativity, supernatural discernment, supernatural wisdom, Lord God, and how to infiltrate these countries with the gospel to take the good news that saves souls, Lord God. So, Father God, we just, we reach out to you, Father, on, on the behalf of the leaders, on the council, on the ministries that are being planted, Lord God. And I just pray that you would be with them, Lord God. That you would just give us wisdom in all things, Father God, to walk in truth, grace, and love. Your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. All right, guys. As you see, we have some special guests with us this morning. Um, I met them back at the Great Commission Mill. This is John and Erica Campbell. Um, I believe you call your hair the Power Tower. He rocks the power tower, and he walks in the power of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. But from the moment I met this guy, y'all, there was a kindred spirit there. If you can't tell, we even dress similar. So I like this guy. He rolls like me. He's got that, that missionary mindset because, as you know, I went to school for that. That is my mind, too. And so I just praise the Lord for them being here with us today. But, guys, would you please give them a round of applause as they come up and share with us today. And thank you guys for being with us. It's an honor. Good morning. It's such an honor to be with you today. And um, before we get started, when we were uh, during worship, I just felt like the, the Holy Spirit just gave me a word to give to you. And he, he confirmed it when Pastor Josiah was speaking about the vision for your city. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit said, because you're a people who ushers in my presence, then I will be faithful to use you and to bring about the vision for the city. And he said, not only that, but I'm going to place you as a gatekeeper for this city to usher in his presence. And so, man, the Lord is faithful to do what he says. So the vision that you have for this city will come through this church, will come through this local people, and he will use you as a gatekeeper. 
So, Father, right now, I just seal this word, God. I thank you, Father, for the vision that you have for this city, for West Columbia, for all of Columbia, Lord. I thank you for what you're doing in this church and in this body. And I pray, Father, that because you are faithful, Lord, that you're going to bring about this vision through this playground and through um, the walking tracks and through the cafe and all of these things, Father. It is not by accident. You have dropped this in their spirit, Father, and you will do it. You will use this to bring people to know you in Columbia, Father, and we seal that. We seal that with your word, with your power, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Um, so again, we just want to say thank you for having us today. We're so excited, um, so Man, we're very kindred with you guys. <laughs> we we did meet Pastor Josiah at a mission meal, and um, we are just so excited to get to know you more um, and talk with you hopefully later today. But we do just want to share a little bit about our hearts and what we're doing. John and I are new IPHC missionaries, and we serve with The Awakening. And so if you're not familiar with The Awakening, it's the Youth and Young Adult Department of our world missions. Um, And so, what does that mean? That means we believe in this next generation of young people. We love young people, and we believe that they can and they will change the world. And so, what we want to do is we want to help them steward that world-changing potential for the advance of the gospel around the world. And so John and I are going to be planting what we call in the awakening an an international ministry base in Los Angeles, California. And I know that when you think about missions, you, you know, you may often think, well, missionaries usually go overseas, but how many of you believe that we need missionaries right here in our own home? Amen. That's what you're doing here in your local church. That's what you're doing with this this mission for the city. And so that's what we believe. We believe that L.A. needs God's presence, and he's already working in that city. And so we just want to come alongside and be a part of what he's doing in L.A. And so, again, we would love to talk with you. John's going to share a little bit more, but we would love to talk with you in person and get to know you. We have a table out front, Um, but we just say thank you. Thank you so much. Um, I will just share a little bit about, um, so for the last seven years, John and I have worked and served at Emmanuel College. Is anybody familiar with Emmanuel? Yeah, we love Emmanuel. Um, So it's there where we really developed a heart and passion for young people. And again, that's our DNA. It's who we are. It's what we believe in. And it's also during our time at Emmanuel where we really fell in love with world missions. We had um, opportunities to lead trips into Nepal and to Bangladesh. We have a heart really for Asia, the whole world, of course. But the Lord has specifically given us opportunities into Asia. Asia. And so, again, this is something that we will do in L.A. as well. Um, But John's going to share a little bit more about that. Um, Yeah. Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, So, yes, we do absolutely believe in in this emerging generation. We believe in all generations, of course. Um, But another thing that we believe in, and Pastor Josiah, you and I were talking about this on the phone on Friday, and, and I believe many, many, many of us who call ourselves followers of the Lord Jesus are sensing this right now, that there is another movement coming. 
that there is a renewal coming. There's a revitalization, Pastor Josiah, that's the word you used for it. I say renewal, Josiah, Pastor, um, he says revitalization of his church that's coming. Because I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can look at the state of our church and our nation and our culture, and we can see that we've drifted maybe a little bit from what discipleship looks like. Pastor Josiah says, you guys have been talking about discipleship in this house, man, and that blesses my soul. Because I really genuinely believe, and if there's any good news that I can bring to you this morning, there's actually a lot, but what I believe is so on my heart is that, guys, my brothers, my sisters, my fathers, my mothers, it may feel like a crisis outside. I mean, goodness gracious, look at the world, look at the state of things, how unrecognizable it feels sometimes to wake up in this world and, and, and be like, what is happening? But I believe that crises are gateways to renewal. I believe there are doorways to renewal, and I believe that the Holy Spirit has picked this moment that even though it feels like a crisis sometimes when we wake up and we look outside of ourselves and even when we look in ourselves, he's picked this moment to prepare and ready us for another movement. Because crises bring us to the end of ourselves. And when we reach the end of ourselves, guys, that is where, that is the place that the Holy Spirit can prune us and prepare us for something new. And so we believe a renewal is coming. Come on, guys, let's get a little bit excited. There is a renewal. There is a revitalization. There is a return to discipleship that the Holy Spirit is urging his people to feel. Because he's not done with us. <laughs> he's not done with us. You can look at all the, the situation. You can see the... The church's numbers are dropping. You can see we're losing cultural influence. We're losing political influence. We're losing all these, we're losing our centrality, perhaps. So that's what it feels like. But God is using this moment to bring life back in. It's like a wildfire in a forest. It burns away old, toxic, dead growth so that new life can come. This is an exciting moment, man. I'm excited for this. I really have hope. We don't, I was just saying this on the phone with you, Josiah. We don't just say, your pastor and I don't just throw around the word revival and re renewal just because we're Pentecostals and we just like the R words just get us going, you know. We really believe this. And so I say all that to say I do honestly believe, and we at The Awakening, we really do believe that God is inviting this emerging generation to help steward this renewal movement that's coming. Because from this renewal, as the church gets back to her identity, and we're going to talk about this today, man, fruit comes, fruit that lasts. I believe new generations of missionaries of every nation, of every color, and in every place on this planet are going to be sent from everywhere to everywhere because I believe there's a final push for the gospel coming. Pastor Josiah, you mentioned there's two billion-ish people left on this planet. Yes, there are. And Jesus said, Matthew 24, 14, this gospel will be preached in all nations as a testimony. And then the end will come. Guys, if we're living in the last days, then great. The times and the seasons are in the Father's hands. But what I know is that the work of the church has never changed. It is always to get that gospel across the face of this planet. And there are billions left without it. That's our job. I love the flags in this place. Man, you have no idea how good you have it here to have to be in a local church that has the globe represented in your house. Man, I'm, I'm so blessed to be here. Anyways, what's an Awakening International Base? Everybody say Awakening International Base. Everybody say a multifunctional ministry hub. 
All right, there's your church jargon for the day, okay? So what is a multifunctional ministry hub? What is an Awakening International base? Well, it's tough to give you a laundry list of all the things that we will be doing in Los Angeles. We'll be doing a lot of them. For us, it's really about training and sending young people into the harvest. That is what the Awakening is about, training and sending young people into the Great Commission harvest so that they don't miss their assignment, they don't miss their calling. Man, that is what we're excited about. So at the base, while we're training and sending young people, we will be doing a lot of different things. We'll be leading domestic missions trips, okay? So you young people, one of the biggest moments, one of the biggest opportunities for growth and transformation in your life will be when you get outside of your comfort zone and outside of your normal culture and go interact with other cultures. Los Angeles is a very beautifully multicultural location on this planet. So we're going to be leading domestic missions trips inside the city, would love to have a group from CWOC come out and hang out with us, and we'll do missions there. We'll be leading international missions trips, of course, to places like Asia, places like Central South America. Um, we will be doing a lot of discipleship programming up and down uh, the West Coast region from Canada to Mexico, working with churches, working with youth, trying to get them activated, trying to get young people to, to not just go one of the million other paths that are available to them, but to go down that straight and narrow path that leads to God's goodness and his glory. We're going to be doing a lot of different forms of outreach in the city. We'll be exploring. Uh, one of the things that Awakening International Bases do is we try to dabble in innovative ministry. That means ministry that gets outside of the walls of the church, looks at the local context, and says, like, what's going to work in this context? We have a few international bases already. We have one in Europe and Hungary. Right now, guys, please be praying for them. They are hosting Ukrainian refugees at the Awakening Base in Hungary. That just shows you it's meant to be a multifunctional ministry hub. Right now, they've adapted, and they're receiving Ukrainian refugees. We have a, uh, that base I'm meant to bring up. They have a coffee shop there. That is a youth group, guys, has come from that coffee shop, and I'm not just making that up. They literally have developed a youth group from them running a coffee shop. So uh, in South Africa, we've just planted an international base there. Right now, one of our team members is working with the local school systems because she was a soccer player, so she's helping coach their soccer teams. It's moving things for the gospel, innovative forms of ministry. We're opening one in Chile, um, South America right now. They will be also one of our guys who's going down there. He roasts his own coffee, so he's going to be using coffee as a way to engage people in the city. So in Los Angeles... We don't yet have a final word from God on what we want to do, but man, I, I grew up skateboarding. I love skateboarding. Anybody other skate? Any other skaters in the house? No. Oh, oh, my my friend. That's amazing. All right, me and one other person in here. <laughs> That's about how it normally is. But man, I just one of the dreams that I have is man to see kids get baptized in a half pipe one day, man. I've seen it. I've seen it happen already. There's a lot of people doing skate ministry, and I can't. I don't want to force my dream on God. You know how that is? We don't force our dreams on the Lord. We let him dream his dreams for us. But that is a personal dream of mine. So the Awakening International Bases will do a lot of different things. It's hard to give you a full laundry list. But for us, it's about training and sending young people. And then as, as personal missionaries, we just want to share with you, this, these three things are our heart. We say a strategic focus on the slide, but they're also burdens. These are the things that keep Ari and I up. Ari, by the way, is Erica's nickname. It's not another woman, okay? <laughs> it's not a Freudian slip. That's my beautiful, amazing leadership-oriented wife. So uh, these are the three things that keep us up at night. We want to disciple young people. And when I say disciple, I don't mean train them how to identify as Christian on your political ballots and 
how to just behave at the bare minimum and how to have all the right opinions. I mean people who legit have a discipleship that goes deep. Their roots are planted in the Great Commission and the Great Commandment soil. They live for the mission because that's what all of us are designed to do. The second thing is this. We want to love the city. I believe that compassion in action is still one of the best languages to communicate the gospel. So this community, turning your church into a community center is a beautiful strategy. I pray, I pray, I pray, and I trust God that he will bring that to pass. And I pray that you will, through generosity, sow into that. But loving the city, that's our way of saying humanitarian and compassionate outreach. Anywhere you gather 10 million people, there's going to be a lot of brokenness. There's going to be a lot of pain. And throughout the church's history, when we have done compassion well, we have earned the right to share the gospel. And so we want to be involved. There are many, many organizations in the city that we're going to try to partner with, places like the Dream Center, places like Interchange. You know, there's, there's a lot of partnerships that we are hoping to develop out there. Want to do a lot of humanitarian outreach. Um, and the last one is this. The first two are really about the last one because, again, Jesus said the end will come when the gospel has wrapped itself around the planet Earth. We want to reach the unreached. It may surprise you, but inside Los Angeles, there are a lot of unreached people. There are unreached people groups. That's a bit different. We won't go into that. But there are unreached people groups inside Los Angeles. But just to give you a glimpse of what L.A. is, it's not the thing, the glamorous thing that you see on Instagram reels and on TikTok, and it's all the celebrities, and it's the, you know, the Hollywood stars. It is a broken place. Dreams go to die in Los Angeles. It is the city of orphans. It is the city of forty to 80,000 homeless people on any given night. It is the city where the second leading cause of death in people 15 to 24 is, guess what? Suicide. It is a city of immense brokenness, immense need. So yes, it needs the gospel, but here's the other thing. It is also a miniature planet Earth inside that city. One of the ways that God is out-strategizing the enemy at his own game is that he has backfilled places like Los Angeles and turned them into melting pots. There are over 140 nations represented in L.A. There are over 220 languages that you will find spoken there. Ten million people. And one of the long-range strategies, because guys, in the coming century, we have to be strategic about missions. One of the things that we are trying to do is think three steps ahead. It's not just Ari and I. We are not heroes. We are nothing special. We're not going out there to save the city. That doesn't work. We have to work as a community, and we have to work strategically. And one of the strategic things about Los Angeles is that we believe God has planted many nations there for a reason. We believe that a renewal is coming. We believe that many international missionaries will be raised up from a context like Los Angeles, and they will use Los Angeles as a trampoline, and they will bounce all across this planet, sending them wherever God sends them. There are so many people who have immigrated to Los Angeles. Just to give you an example, India is one of those nations where there is just so many people unreached. There will be Indian immigrants living inside the city. One of the things that could happen is God raises up missionaries from families who have maybe just one or two generations ago immigrated from the nation of India who maybe still know the language, still know the culture, and they are going to be very well suited to springboard from Los Angeles, take missions and the gospel back to their own nation or to a nation that's nearby and begin to reach people. So that's another piece, man. Los Angeles isn't just in need of the, the gospel itself. We also believe that it is a strategic location. The nations have gathered there. So when you think about us, 
These are the three things that we are trying to do constantly with our lives. This is what we're doing at the international base. It will take a lot of different shapes and forms. We ask for your prayers. We ask for your partnership. Ari's going to share a little bit about that. Um, so today we just simply ask you, would you consider partnering with us? Right now, John and I have about 60% of our budget committed um, for us to be able to move to L.A. And so we still have a ways to go. And one of the ways you can do that is become a monthly partner with us. Um, and uh, we have a table out front, and we have some of our Connect cards on there. And the way that these work, which you already may be familiar with, is you can fill this out and say you do want to give monthly. You can fill this out, give it back to us so that we have record of it, but then you would activate your giving. And you can do that through your church, or you can do it online. Um, and there's a link to that as well. Um, and then uh, you just... You just give this back to us, and then you keep that part. Hang it somewhere. Pray for us. Um, again, we need monthly partners, but we also need prayer. Um, prayer is such a big piece of this, and I think it's one of the greatest things that moves missionaries um, to, to be able to complete the mission because, yes, we need, we need money, and we need to be able to get there, but we also need people who are just willing to pray. Um, and so with that, um, pray for us. Pray for our housing situation. Right now, we have office space, office space in L.A., which is incredible. We are going to be partnering with an IPHC Korean church. They have a facility in downtown L.A. Their facility is incredible. They're uh, location is strategic, and so they have generously offered us office space, and we'll be partnering with them as well, um, but we need housing. We don't have that figured out yet. We will be taking a trip in April um, to just scout out some areas of where you know, we might like to live, but it's not just about where we would like to live. Again, we believe God is strategic in location, and so we're asking him, Lord, where is it that you want us to live and, and put down roots? Like, what neighborhood, what, pe you know, the people in that neighborhood, where do you want us to live? Um, and so you can be praying for that. Secondly, be praying for partnerships. Um, again, John mentioned we're going to be traveling the West Coast and connecting with churches and pastors and young people from Canada to Mexico. Pray for those um, partnerships. Pray for partnerships within the city of humanitarian organizations that we can partner with. And then lastly, just pray for John and I, for community, for friends, for, you know, for people who become family. Um, that's such a vital role of, of just partnering in God's mission is him bringing along people who become family. And so if you would like to talk with us afterwards, we would love to. Um, if you would like to become a monthly partner, please talk to us. Grab some of our information out there. We have these Connect cards on the table, and we would really love to have a conversation with you. Amen, amen. All right. I would love to take you to Judges chapter 6 if you would be so kind as to join me. Now, Pastor Josiah says that you guys have a tradition of standing for the reading of God's word. So let me get some context out of the way before we stand so I don't keep you standing for so long. Was anybody, uh, was anybody pretty excited about the worship today, man? I was so blessed. Thank you guys so much for leading us into worship like that. That's one of those worship sessions where uh, my watch starts asking me like, Hey, are you jumping rope right now? <laughs> you want me to start recording this as an exercise? 
<laughs> so I just, I'm always super thankful when, when the worship is making my watch ask me if I'm jumping rope. <laughs> that's my, you got to get your body involved, man. I'm so awkward. I'm one of those white people who cannot dance. I don't have any cool moves, but dude, one thing I can do is I can jump straight up and down. And sometimes I can jump up and down on a beat, okay? If the beat's not too fast or too slow. So look, man, with, with, with the worships like that, man, I got to be jumping around. So I, I thank you guys for... For, for creating a spirit of, of, of worship and, and just inviting the presence of God into the house, man. So, Judges chapter 6, I want to talk about my man Gideon. Who's heard of Gideon before? Everybody say Gideon. You can call him Gid. I talked to him about it. He was cool with you, giving him a nickname. I'm all about nicknames, man. I, sometimes I, I take it too far and I offend people because they're like, yo, don't, don't shorten my name. I'm not Vern. I'm Vernon. Call me Vernon. <laughs> <laughs> but Gid says he's cool with it. Okay, so here's the thing. We have, when we're studying the Bible, we got to know context, right? So what is going on when we are meeting Gideon in this moment of his life? Well, here's what's going on. A crisis is going on. We talked about crisis, right? We feel like sometimes we're in a crisis right now in our nation, eh? We wake up, we look outside, and we're like, man, this looks really unrecognizable. What in the world is happening? Gideon and his fellow Israelites were experiencing crisis at this time. If you have ever read the book of Judges, it is actually one of my favorite books, but it is a tragedy. It is like a Shakespearean tragedy, okay? It's the Word of God, but let me tell you something. When you're reading the Word of God, it don't always give you examples that you should follow. It doesn't pull any punches, okay? When it's talking about its characters, it is very honest, okay? So Gideon is one of those flawed characters, and the book of Judges is a tragedy cycle. Why? Because the people are oppressed by their enemies. But that's not the real reason. That's not the real reason it's a tragedy. The real reason it's a tragedy in the book of Judges is because the people have forgotten who they are. The people continually forget who they are. Every judge, and when we say judge, we're not talking about a guy with a gavel and a black suit. We're talking about more like a, a hero, more like a, a, a national leader that militarily defends the people, almost like a Moses figure. So um, when we say judges, that's what we're talking about. And so God brings these kind of hero figures on the scene to bring the people out of their, their idolatry. But what inevitably, what continues to happen in the book of Judges is a cycle. Everybody say cycle, okay? We are in the middle of a cycle. So we are meeting Gideon when things are really terrible in the nation of Israel. Right now, the specific situation is that this group called the Midianites, everybody say Midianites, the Midianites are oppressing the people. They are raiders from the east. What they do is they would come and not just attack the people themselves, but they would burn or steal crops. It was an agriculturally driven community, so your crops are your livelihood. It's how you survive. And so you'll see crops pop up in this story a little bit. But the Israelites are in a crisis. It is a crisis of their own doing because they have given themselves over to idolatry. That has caused them to drift from their identity. And in that they have now found themselves underneath the hand, the oppression of Midian. And so the Gideon, this is why I want to talk about Gideon. Because I think in the church there are a lot of Gideons out there. I know I was one. People who sell themselves short. People that God would like to use. But people who sell themselves short. So when we meet Gideon right now, this is Gideon before he has become the judge. This is Gideon before he's the hero. This is Gideon the weakling. Everybody say weakling. Can you tell I'm a guy who tells everybody to say things all the time, the whole sermon long? This is Gideon the weakling. So let's read together Judges 6, 11 through 16. I invite you 
to empathize with Gideon, put yourself in his shoes. So verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. Let's notice that detail. Where is he threshing wheat? Does that make sense? No, it does not make sense. You thresh wheat in an open area, very often on a hillside where the wind can separate the wheat from the chaff. It's hard to do that in a wine press, which is an enclosed area. There's not going to be any wind. It's much harder to thresh wheat in a place like this. This makes no sense, but what is the point of that detail in the narrative? We're told right here, to keep it from the Midianites. We're living in fear. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you! Mighty warrior. Gideon's like, nah. (laughs) But sir, some of your versions may say, pardon me. (laughs) Pardon me, Gideon replied. If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? See, this is a moment where Gideon is doubting and he's experiencing a disillusionment of his faith. But now the Lord has abandoned us. He's put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, pardon me? Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? And here it is. Put yourself in his shoes. See if this relates in any way to your life. My clan is the weakest. In Manasseh, I'm the least in my family. But watch what the Lord does. The Lord answered him, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites together. You can take your seats. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would encourage us to see ourselves as people who are called people who you want to send, in Jesus' name. So, how will the Holy Spirit encourage us today? Real quick, we can set a few things out. Number one, from this story, and this is a theme that stays true throughout the entire scripture. Number one, God sets his purposes for us long before we can understand them. If you're a note taker, take the note. Why does he do that? How does he do that? Because he sees who we will become in him long before we can see it. How does he do that? Because God sees his purposes and his plans for us through the lens of his own power and through the lens of his own presence. God sees his plans for you and for me, not through your power, not through your presence, not through your abilities, but through the lens of What will I do when I am present in this situation? What will I, the Lord, do when I add my power to this situation? That is what he looks at you through. But God knows that when he approaches us, we're usually like Gideon. We're usually stuck inside of a cage of our own perspective, right? Because all we can see is what God would not do with me. This is my limitations. God, I'm an Enneagram type nine, okay? I clearly cannot do what you're asking me to do. My personality type does not fit that memo. (laughs) Do you know how poor I am? 
Do you know how messed up my family is? Do you know how broken my situation is? Do you know how much of a mess I'm in? Do you know how untalented I am? We're usually stuck in some, in whatever it is for you, whatever it is for you, just think of those things right now. What are the things? What are the limits? What are the bars to the cage of your perspective? Because God knows that when he approaches us, we're usually locked inside of a prison of perspective. And it's all about what we can't do and what we can't handle and all of those things. And here's what happens when we dwell on those things. And I get it. We all go through them. I go through them. Everybody does. Your pastor, his amazing wife, every leader in this church, every good leader that you know, they all go through them. We all do. When we dwell on those limits and when we dwell on those, what they amount to are excuses in the long run, we turn them into an identity of limits and excuses. They're no, they, they no longer are just things that we have to deal with. Yes, we got to deal with those. Yes, let's be practical. Yes, we have to deal with those. But they cease just being things that we have to, to, to learn to manage and navigate. And then they become who we are. It becomes an identity thing. And so when you live in an identity of, God, I, it's just, I'm inside this cage of what I can't do, guess what that does? Is it makes you completely, persistently unavailable to God. It makes you unavailable. And does God need you to be powerful? Does he need you to be all that? No, he doesn't. But what he does need is your availability. That's it. And we never feel ready. When we live like this, when this is our identity, a cage of excuses and limitations, we'll never feel ready. We will never feel ready. We will always feel like I need to stay here and let everybody else do it. But here's the thing that I love, and yet also it makes me really nervous and frustrated with God sometimes. And you see it in this story. God doesn't wait until Gideon feels ready. Because if, if he had, where would Gideon have stayed? Threshing wheat in a wine press. <laughs> that doesn't work. But i got to do it because this is what my situation demands. Gideon would have never left. He would have never done this. He would have stayed stuck in that not just the wine press, God, but his, his entire, his own cage of perspective, he would have stayed stuck, chained inside of that prison. I am the weakest in my family, Lord. <laughs> Did you know that? Did you not think to take that into account when you approached me? And uh, also, my clan, which is a, a group of families, my clan is the weakest in our whole tribe. Did you not take into account that you were literally approaching the last person that you should choose? But God doesn't wait until Gideon feels ready. And that's something that I love and have a very hard time with sometimes in my own walk. But here's the thing. God is more committed to the bigger picture that he has for your life than he is to your comfort. He is more committed to the bigger picture in your life than you staying comfortable and you staying cozy inside what you feel like you can handle. God steps in to Gideon's story and very often in our own story at the least likely moment. He steps in when Gideon is the most afraid, when, he's, when he is the most ill-equipped, when his personality type is super far from being a judge's personality type God. And he calls Gideon something that Gideon would have never called himself. What does he call him? Yeah. Gideon's like, nah. <laughs> what? No, pardon me? And God says, the Lord is with you. Gideon's like, no, he's not. God says, mighty warrior. I'm like, no, I'm not. But that's what God does. And I want you, my family, to hear this today. Whatever your limitations and your cages are built of, God confronts 
because he's so committed to the bigger picture in your life, he, he doesn't just let you stay there. He confronts your fears. But how does he do it? He does it with his presence. That's why he says the Lord is with you, Gideon. And then he does something else. He then confronts our limits. But how does he do that? With his power. And God makes warriors out of weaklings, folks. He does. Come on now. He makes warriors out of weaklings. Do we have any weaklings in the house? No, I'm the only one? All right, shoot. <laughs> Is anybody else weak in here? I'm super weak, man. What are you talking about? Here's the thing. You have still been chosen. You can define yourself however you like, but you have still been chosen. And that is not just some feel-good therapeutic message. That is biblical. It is biblical from front to back. God in his wisdom has always chosen people to be his agents. Always. And they are very rarely like the people that you think they should be. He always chooses the weaklings. And guys, here's what I want us to get excited about today. I can start jumping up and down. The same God that chose Gideon is here. The same Holy Spirit who filled those disciples and those apostles who filled Peter and Paul and James and John and Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Jesus and Joseph. Man, he's here. He is in the house with us. He longs to dwell in you. He's here today, man, and he wants to do the same thing that he did in Gideon. He wants to do it in us and for our good, but also for what he wants to do through us. Because how many of us know we're not just saved from something? We're not just saved from something. We are saved for something. And it's not just like after I die, I'm going to live in wealth and splendor. It is for right now the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is already here. You have been saved for that kingdom. You have been saved for that king. And this is what we miss in the American church so much. This isn't political. This isn't meant to bash Christ's bride because I grew up in the American church. I am the American church. Its problems are my doing and my problems. But this is what we miss. We turn salvation into this thing that's just like it's a destination. And once you get there, that's it. And then you just behave and you vote right for the rest of your life. That's not it. Christ didn't die for that. The nations need the church. They need the local church. They need not just the ones with the microphones. Oh, God, don't get me started on that. They need everybody in the church because that is what it is meant to be. But we resist God, don't we? And here's one of the things that breaks the Father's heart the most is that we very often, we so often, almost always, and this is what I do all the time, is we try to measure God's plans according to our power. We try to measure God's purposes according to my power. It's one of our greatest temptations. And here's the thing, the enemy loves that. It's like, yeah, do that. <laughs> That's great. <gasps> Your personality type. <laughs> it wouldn't do that. John, you're an Enneagram 4. <laughs> You're meant to be selfish. The enemy loves it. Because if he knows if he can just get us focused on that person in the mirror, if he can just get us staring and, and, and to be centered on that person, not only does it do all the normal self-centered stuff, like make us selfish and make us greedy and make us prideful and make us just people who are hard to get along with, right? You know some people like that? Or, 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 or contrary-wise, 
if we hate ourselves, it leads us into self-loathing and depression and suicidality and all of these things. Yes, all of that stuff comes when you are focused only on the person in the mirror. But here's what else happens. The enemy can get out of your life and kick his feet up because he knows you'll become your own worst enemy. And I don't have to work that hard anymore. You'll start stealing and killing and destroying the, God, the purposes of God in your life for him. He doesn't need to lie anymore. You'll lie to yourself. He doesn't need to accuse you anymore. He'll accuse yourself. He doesn't need to slander you anymore. Guys, do you know that the Greek word for, for demon means slanderous? It means slanderer. I'm sorry, I'm in seminary. I had to bring up Greek at least once, okay? You don't need to, he doesn't need to slander you anymore because you'll do it yourself. If he can just get you focused, if he can just get us focused on that person in the mirror, he knows that we'll become our own worst enemy. Why? Because when we look at the person in the mirror, when we focus on that, like Gideon, we begin measuring God's plans according to our power. And we realize sooner or later that that person in the mirror truly can't do, truly is too limited, truly is too messy. For the great commission, go into all the nations, preach my gospel, make disciples, teach them to obey everything, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are too messy and too limited for that in and of ourselves. And so guess what? When we walk around focused on that person in the mirror, we inevitably end up, get, we get discouraged. How many of you felt that? We start to experience a disillusionment of our faith like Gideon was going through. God, where, where are you? Okay, I heard the stories. You brought us out of Egypt like some time ago, but what? you're not that God anymore apparently. Disillusionment of our faith. And another one, just Distraction. Good grief. Distraction is one of the biggest idols in my generation right now. We just, we have to constantly be. It doesn't even make me happy. I just have to look at it, right? It's not just smartphones and social media. Of course, I'm a 31-year-old. I have to bring up social media. But when we live discouraged, disillusioned, distracted, man, what we end up living is also defeated and dry, and we produce no fruit for the kingdom. And how many of you know John 15, the last night Jesus was with his disciples, he said this, guys, this is my goal. It is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, and much fruit that lasts. It wasn't just for the disciples. We end up living defeated and dry. We produce no fruit for the kingdom. We live beneath God's purposes for us. We live on the sidelines because we usually put ourselves there. We live paralyzed because we only ever see that person in the mirror. And that person always becomes our own worst enemy when we elevate them to the place of God. But here's the good news. God knows us better than we know ourselves. Can we say that together? God knows us better than we know ourselves. This is one of the most loving things that my wife, Ari, has ever said to me. It was when we were engaged, I believe. And she looked at me in her little Southern Belle accent. I don't really know how much of that came out today when she was talking. She's Jonathan David. That's my middle name. Jonathan David, I want to know you better than you know yourself. And she does. <laughs> Been married for seven years, and I guarantee you she does actually know me better than myself. And that's like God, man. That is the kind of love that he brings to us, but it does make us uncomfortable. Because when God knows us better than, than we know ourselves, we have to let go of what we think we know about that person in the mirror, what their limitations are, what their personality type will or won't do, what their budget can or can't handle, what you know, their, their messes can and can't uh, afford, and all of that stuff. Because God knows us better than we know ourselves. And he knows that as part of the human condition, the fallen human condition, 
that every time we start to walk by our sight, we end up canceling ourselves out from being used for his purposes. Why? Because we always sell ourselves short. Because God's purposes are scary. They are not comfortable. They go against the grain of the American dream, which says, seek comfort, seek comfort, seek comfort. God's purposes do the opposite. They say, seek me, seek me, seek me. And then that ends up kind of being like, seek discomfort, seek discomfort, seek discomfort. Because God's committed to that bigger picture. He's more committed to that bigger picture he has for your life than he is to your comfort. And it leads us against the grain of the life script that we have been sold by our society that you should just accumulate wealth so that you can do whatever you want with yourself all your life long. That's not freedom. See, God's purposes always take us beyond where we would ever imagine taking ourselves. And that is why trying to evaluate God's plan with our own eyes, with our own logic, by sight, by logic, by our definitions of what's possible, by what's realistic, by what's likely, is one of the best ways to lead ourselves astray and adrift into this perpetual land of I'm always discouraged, I'm always defeated, I'm always dry, I'm always disillusioned, I don't ever, I'm just going to show up and, and behave and do the bare minimum and I'm going to vote right and all this stuff that we say that Christianity is. And imagine if we took a survey of this room right now and we were really truly honest with ourselves, we'd find that normal laundry list of all those reasons why we are not it, God. We can't be me, just like Gideon. Lord, why did you consider all of these things that are going on at me when you came up to me and said, hey, I want you to do this? I'm too ordinary. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough money. I'm not talented enough. My goodness, have we not turned disciple-making into this industry that's reserved for the super special, that you have to be some person with a microphone and you have to have followers and you have to, that's just nonsense. That stuff is nonsense. It's hollow. You see, all of our excuses, no matter what they are, they really boil down to two fundamental things. And it's either A, I have nothing to share. God cannot use me. Or B, I am too much of a mess. God would not want to use me. That's it. It's those two things. And here's the thing. They're kind of half partial truths, right? And the enemy uses, us, uses those thoughts against us to keep us locked down, fully locked down. And he turns the half truths into full lies. That's one of the enemy's strategies. Because it, it, there's part of it that's right. Yeah, we're too messy. We're too limited. Of course, I don't have enough money for this. You know, like, of course, I'm not talented enough for this. There's always people out there that are better than you at, 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 at things. You see, this is the good news, man. Please hear this. God intentionally picks the limited and the messy. He always has. When he picked Israel in the Old Testament, he tells them, guys, Israel, I didn't pick you because you were great. You were slaves in Egypt. You were powerless. I picked you because you were weak. When I picked you, I chose you for my own purposes. You were weak. You could not do anything for me. And still I picked you. God always picks the New Testament. 1 Corinthians, man, chapter 1. Paul says that God uses the weak to shame the strong. He uses the, the unwise to shame the wise. He uses the little to shame the big. He uses the things that are not to shame the things that are. So that in all things, God might have the what? The glory. And so that we don't get stuck boasting that we think we did it. God gets the most glory when we are limited and we are messy. That isn't, that's not a commentary on, yeah, let's stay in sin. That is not that message. 
But guys, if you feel like you are too limited or too messy or too whatever, then I say to you today, you are blessed. And you are chosen. And you have got to start seeing yourself through the lens of his perspective. Let's go back to sixth grade earth science, shall we? This is uh, two pictures. What's the picture on the right? Let's start with the one on the right. And y'all get involved. What is the picture on the right? Squint through those glasses. What is that? It is an apple tree, indeed. Okay, it is an apple tree. So what do we see about the apple tree? What are some observations we can make about that apple tree? Yeah, it's in full bloom. This must be spring or whenever you harvest apples. My mom has apple trees. I should really know this. It's in full bloom. What else do we notice about it? There's apples that have fallen off of the ground. Yes. It is fruitful. Is it, is it beautiful to anybody else? Do we have any other nature appreciators in here? It's beautiful. It's fruitful. There are apples literally falling off of its branches. What do we see? What do we know about the tree that you can't actually see in the picture, too? Yes. A tree of this size and of this caliber and of this fruit production level will have a root system that's incredibly deep, incredibly resilient, and is being nourished in what? Good soil. So that's the picture on the right. It's, it's, it's an apple tree, right? Okay, what's the picture on the left? Uh, see, this is where we start talking about perspective. The picture on the left is the picture on the right. It just hasn't gone through the process yet. And when God approaches Gideon, all Gideon can see is the picture on the left. But all God is looking at is, yes, he sees the picture on the left, but when he approaches Gideon and when he approaches us, he sees both pictures overlaid. Because he can step outside of time. God can do that. He can see how things will go if the seed will just put itself in the farmer's hands. So no, the picture on the left, yes, it's a seed, but it is also an apple tree. And no, does it... Does it look like the picture on the right? No, it doesn't. In its current form, no, not at all. In its current form, does the seed feel like the picture on the right? No, it doesn't. Does the seed smell like the picture on the right? No, it doesn't. Does the seed's personality type match the personality type of the tree on the right? No, it doesn't, because it's Myers-Briggs told it that it was a S-E-E-D and not a T-R-E-E. -E. My personality type nerds will get that one. <laughs> hey, there we go. And the seed certainly does not taste like it. So guess what? If we judge the, the seed by, the, by, by its appearance in the picture on the left, we come to the only obvious conclusion. This thing is super small. It doesn't taste good. Let's probably just throw it out or, you know, assemble a bunch of them and take a nice photograph of it. But does the farmer judge the seed by its appearance? No. He doesn't because when the farmer sees the picture of the seed, he actually sees the picture of the apple tree the entire time. The farmer estimates the seed's value in light of what it will become when it puts itself in the farmer's hands. When he looks at this seed, he is stepping outside of time and he is seeing multiple realities at the same time because our God is timeless and he can do that. He sees, yes, I see a seed, but yes, I also see a future tree. Yes, I see a future tree, but yes, I also see a future tree that bears much fruit. Yes, I see a future tree that bears much fruit, but I also see an orchard that comes from this. 
And so he plants the tiny, little, fragile seed, knowing that a rich and thriving and fruit-bearing orchard is hidden inside of it. It just needs soil and care and time. And the farmer knows he's going to provide all of those things. So what does the seed have to do? And it has got to stop looking at its appearance. It has got to stop focusing on what it sees in the mirror and be willing to be lifted out of the bag of other seeds where it feels comfortable, where it feels safe, where everybody looks like me, where my personality type meshes with this and everything's familiar and life's not too challenging here and all of that and just put itself in the hands of the farmer. And it's the same with Gideon and it is the same with us. Because God sees us not for who we are in the picture on the left. He approaches us through the lens of his own power and his own presence. He sees the picture on the right the entire time. And that is why we walk by what? And not by. We walk by faith and not by sight. Our job is not the sight part. That is God's job. God does the seeing. And when we try to make it our job, here's what we end up doing. We end up blinding ourselves and we end up making God look a whole lot like us. He ends up being small and weak and and defeated because we feel small and weak and defeated. He ends up not wanting to use me because I would never use myself. There's way better people for that. God ends up looking a lot like us when we go around focused on ourselves, and that is why we leave the sight part to God. We let him define what he wants to do and what he can do and how he will bring it all to pass in our lives because he is more committed to the bigger picture than he is to what your current form is. He is more committed to the bigger picture, and so we just do the faith part. And faith doesn't mean just blind luck. It doesn't mean just being lazy and passive. And faith is not foolish. Faith is informed. Faith is a calculated decision. It is dedicated. It is a decision that you make on a daily basis to say, God, my entire life, as unimpressive as it is, as useless as it might seem, as messed up as I can be, I give it to you. My entire life is yours, and you trust, faith trusts, that he sees what you can't. He can do what you can't, and he loves you in a way that you could never love yourself. Please hear that. Our God is a God of love, and that love sometimes makes us uncomfortable, but it leads to life and true freedom. So what does faith look like as we're getting to the end of this? What does faith look like? Faith looks like this, three things, guys, and we can look at, we can see these in Gideon's story. Number one. Please, give God what you do have rather than dwelling on what you don't have. Just start. That's what God says to Gideon. He says, says, Gideon, go in the strength that you have. I know that you are the weakest. I know that your clan is the smallest. I know that you are selling yourself short. You can't fathom doing this. I know that you're experiencing a faith crisis. I know that your world is in crisis mode. But give to God what you do have and stop dwelling on what you don't have. That's the thing. God doesn't focus on what you can't do with what you don't have. He focuses on what he will do with what you do have if you just give it to him. So stop focusing on what you don't have. If you think you are weak and messy and limited and all of that stuff, then I say to you again, you are blessed and you are chosen and you are called. Because God specializes in taking our little and making it his much. Our job is to be that little kid who happened to have five loaves and two fish on that day that Jesus wanted to feed 15,000 people with it. Like, Jesus, I brought my Spider-Man lunchbox. It's got five loaves in it, two fish. Just give it to him. 
Give him your lunchbox, whatever that is. Give God what you do have. Stop dwelling on what you don't have. And as this happens, guys, what I've experienced in walking with him is that a holy curiosity begins to rise up in you. And it's not all in one day. It's not overnight. It's a process. But you begin to ask questions that 12 years after you start asking him, you're like, man, I I probably should have just stayed quiet in that prayer. But you begin to ask God, what might you do with me? What might you do through me? If I were to just give myself to you, how could you use me to bring glory and fruit for your kingdom that lasts? A holy curiosity begins to rise up in you. And Holy Spirit, I pray that a curiosity would begin to rise up in someone in this place today. They would begin asking these questions, Lord Jesus. You give God what you do have. You stop dwelling on what you don't have. The second thing you do is you commit to God's process. No, the picture on the left does not look anything or feel anything or smell anything or taste anything or have the personality type of the picture on the right, guys. But there's a process in between those two pictures, and God will bring you through it. You commit to God's process. Too many people start out eager, and then they jump ship in the middle of God's work in their life because why? The process takes time. It can be hard. It's not always pretty, and we can get derailed thinking I'm not there yet. Everybody else is farther along than I am, but please hear this. God is not about Your position, he is about your direction. It's not about position with God. It is always about where are you moving. He does not dwell on where you are in the road and how much farther you still have to go. Like John Campbell has about 70 more years before he's going to be mature. Wish he'd hurry up. It's about direction. God is not focused on who you are at the moment. He is focused on who you are becoming. He doesn't look at a seed that's under the soil and get mad at it because it didn't pop out 20 apples that day. Because he knows sometimes the seed's best job is to just survive the earthworm attack and stay rooted and stay planted and and begin learning and begin drawing things from the soil. Begin learning how to process and like photosynthesis God's light into your life. Drink of his living water and allow the process to take hold. But it takes time. It is hard. It is uncomfortable. It does challenge you. It does make you nervous. It does make you leave your comfort zone. It does make you give more than you think you can give and do more than you think you can do. But we commit to God's process because we, not because we see the picture on the end, but because we know who is the one in charge of that process. We trust the Father. The last thing is this. We give God what we do have. We stop dwelling on what we don't have, and we commit to his process. And the entire time, this is the key, we have to cultivate a hunger for God's presence. Because, guys, at the bottom, the foundation and the center of all of God's activity in your life and in my life, in his church, is always one thing. It is his own presence. It is his own holy presence. It is not about me. The main problem for God's people has never been that they didn't have enough stuff or that they weren't talented enough or any of those things. The main problem for God's people has always been a lack of presence because in a lack of presence, we drift from our identity. We forget who we are and we start operating in all kinds of things that are just not true of us, not the full truth that sets us free. That's why if you finish reading Gideon's story, the first thing he does is not go out and attack the Midianites. The first thing he does is goes back to his own hometown and he knocks down all of those idols.
because the enemy wasn't the problem. It was the fact that Israel had drifted from the presence of God again. And that is why throughout the entire, our entire lives, guys, we have to cultivate a hunger for God's presence because it's not about our strength. It is about the presence of God transforming us. That's why Jesus told his disciples, I'll close with this scripture, John 15. As Jesus is with his disciples for the final night, He's about to pass the church and the birth of the church off to their servanthood through his Holy Spirit. He reminds them of these things. Verse 4, remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I am him, he will bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. And so, Father, I just, we're going to go into uh, one more worship song, I believe. And uh, Pastor Josiah said it's okay. The altars are open. Please come and pray. If you're at a place in your life where you know you need to start giving God what you do have and stop dwelling on what you don't have or committing to his process or just cultivating a more hunger for his presence or anything, these altars are open, but let me pray for us. Father, I just pray that you would bear much fruit through this community, through every single believer here, that there would not be any false conceptions of I've got to look like this, I have to act like that, I have to have this personality type, I have to have this much charisma, I have to be able to do public speaking with a microphone, I have to be able to play an instrument, I have to be able to do anything, God, that's not what it is about. It is about your presence, it is about your process, it is about us just making ourselves available. So God, please, by your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would till and till and till away at the hard soil of our hearts, God, so that you can do things in our lives, Father. We want to bear much fruit for your kingdom, fruit that lasts, God. So, Lord, today I pray that your holy presence would fall on us, God, that you would rise up within us, Lord, that the living water would, would pour into us and then pour out of us, Jesus. I pray that your presence would be with us right now, Lord Jesus, and to your glory we commit our lives to your glory we commit our lives to you to knowing you jesus in your holy and precious name we pray these things amen Yeah. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you that even though we aren't qualified, nor are we worthy, nor are we good enough, you choose us, God. You see us in the mess. You see us as the seed. You see us before we are what you've called us to be. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your love and your mercy that you see us where we are and you still choose us. That even in our mess, as Brother John said, even in our mess, nothing is too big for God. There's never too much for God to handle, ever. Lord God, so I just pray that we give it all to you, Lord God, even the messy stuff, even the, even the stuff we're ashamed of, God, that we just put it at your feet. That nothing can stand before the Almighty, so God, we put it before you and we just watch our walls crumble. We watch foundations break because nothing can stand before you. And Holy Father God, we just thank you. We thank you. We thank you that you saw us and you loved us even when we were unlovable. Ha. Father God, that you died for us while we were still sinners, you died for us. Not that we cleaned ourselves up, but that your blood cleans us up. Your blood washes us. Your blood erases the past. You died for our past, our present, and our future. All things are covered and redeemed by the blood of Jesus. So Jesus, I pray that as we go into our week, Lord God, that we would cultivate an atmosphere of, for your presence. That, that, even, that even in our workplaces, we would structure our lives in such a way that your presence just resides there and presides there because wherever we go, the church goes. We are the church. So King Jesus, I just pray as Brother John said that we would cultivate a hunger that every day we wake up, we can't wait just to walk with you and talk with you and be with you. That Jesus, through our union with you, you live inside of us and we walk and live and move and have our being in you, Christ Jesus. And so Jesus, I just pray as we go from this place, we would be a people that foster and cultivate the presence of God. That every atmosphere we enter, we will be like gardeners cultivating the soil. That when we see things are nasty, we go in there and we cultivate the things that are wrong and we fix them so that the presence of God can reside there. So Lord God, I just pray you would make us cultivators, Lord God. That we would conquer the culture and cultivate the church. I feel that in my presence right now. That we would conquer the culture and cultivate the church. So Lord God, I just pray we would be cultivators of your presence today, Lord God. And every day going forward, Lord God, we would give everything to you. Knowing we're not good enough, knowing that's the beauty of it. You are made strong in our weakness, Lord God. When we are weak, that is the best place to be. When we are beside ourselves, when we are at our limits, mm, there's a fine line between a breaking point and a breakthrough. And that's where God wants us. He wants us right there because he's the only one that can take us where he wants us in this next season. So Lord God, I just pray everywhere we go, we would be a people of presence, walking and talking with our King. <laughs> because where your presence is, nothing can stay the same. Lord God, we love you. We thank you for this time today. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Thank you, John and Erica. Can we hear it for John and Erica? Praise the Lord. Uh, they are going to be at their table in the foyer.